on the record flips to the B side. It's almost Turkey Day, and we're in a festive mood, so we have a treat for you this month. Before you stuff yourself silly, sit back, relax, and listen to a story about how one man's private music collection became a national treasure. I'm Mia Lobel, and this month on B-Side, a radio documentary examining the amazing record collection of Leon Kegerice, an audio technician from Baltimore, Maryland. His tapes include unedited performances by country and bluegrass legends such as Patsy Cline, the Stanley Brothers, and Johnny Cash before they became stars. Leon has nearly 4,000 hours of recordings from the golden age of country music on these tapes, and you'll hear the highlights right here as On The Record flips to the B-side. For the last 40 years, Leon Kagerice's music collection lay dormant in his overpacked three-bedroom ranch home in Baltimore. But two years ago, a record collector came to Leon's house and discovered his stacks of live recordings on reel-to-reel tapes dating back to the late 1950s. New York City producer Jeff Brady put this story together. It's narrated by Ruth White, and it's a good one. Enjoy. Through the late 50s and the 60s, country music became big business. Musicians bought electric amps, the Grand Ole Opry became a mecca of country music, and honky-tonk music was gradually replaced with the smoother country pop. Regional differences began to blur as Southerners moved north to jobs in the urban areas, such as Washington, D.C., and they brought their songs with them. For many years I've been a rolling stone, my darling. By 1958, Leon Kagerice, a young audio technician from Maryland, began hauling a suitcase-sized reel-to-reel deck and microphone to record these outdoor country music shows. Over the years, Leon recorded and preserved the music of country stars such as Patsy Cline, Ernest Tubb, Johnny Cash, and Hank Snow. Since that time, Leon stored his recordings, and for the next 40 years, they didn't emerge. They didn't care if Leon Kegerice showed up with a, a big old tape recorder and a microphone and set it up right in front of the group. <laughs> I had a big Ampex recorder that was like a foot and a half by a foot and a half by 10 inches thick and weighed about 60 pounds. <laughs> I never saw my dad much when we were there because he was always setting up doing his thing. My mic was right behind the house mic. And so I was getting everything that the house mic got, and except getting it better because uh, I had a lot better mic. I had an electric voice mic, whereas they had a, a cheap mic. He got the real thing. 
This is the way that, that these people really sounded. years ago, a, a record collector came to my house by the name of Joe Lee, and uh, he was busy looking at records, and then he saw a tape that said Johnny Cash, live, 1962, New River Ranch. You know, I saw the stacks of tapes and uh, reel-to-reels, and I was looking at them, and I said, Johnny Cash, 1962, I said, Mr. Kagerice, can we hear this? I said, sure. So I put it on my machine and played it. Boom, it was so crystal clear. It was Country Boy by Johnny Cash. Country Boy, ain't got no shoes. Country Boy, ain't got no boots. It just popped right out of the speakers. And he liked to die. He says, do you know this recording's worth a lot of money, don't you? And I says, no. And I'm looking at stacks and stacks of tapes, and I'm thinking, ay, ay, ay. You know, here it is. Here's for the rest of my life. I have something to do. You see, Leon is a lifelong junk collector. And when I say junk, that could mean a lot of different things indeed. But among the vintage fans, the mountains of records and magazines, the old radios and clocks, are stacks of reel-to-reel -reel tapes. What he told me about Leon is, he said, come on down here, we're buying 10,078s from this fella. And, you know, they said, you know, he's got 100,000, 150,000 LPs. I said, well, let me get a crew, we'll come all down. And he says, uh, he says, no, no, you, you, you can't come down with a crew. You just have to come down alone. I said, well, with that amount of records, I'm going to need help. What are you talking about? He says, well, just come down alone because your crew is not going to fit in the house. And I remember driving down there thinking, what is this, some sort of a joke or whatever, you know? Well, we're looking at records about to the ceiling. Uh, one, two, three, four. You okay? Leon's family also had to cope with the clutter. His daughter Judy moved out and now lives a few blocks away with her husband, and she also stores some of her dad's treasures. So he saved it all. Victrolas, speakers, all kinds of speakers. Cause there is an old house and it has lots of like nooks and crannies. And then there were records and books and uh, tubes down in the basement. There were lots of tubes and some things I thought he could throw away. I just let him keep in my basement. But I think if I got rid of a few things, he would not know. There's, there's a box of 45s, and this is a box of uh, 45s, and also it's got some a lot of real-to-real -real tapes. My dad uh, was an electronics engineer for Bendix Radio, and he got me started originally when I was like six years old building crystal sets and so forth and learning, learning basic electronics. Other kids were playing baseball, and I was building crystal sets. I, I enjoyed country music very much, and I, I went to uh, the country music ranches here around uh, town here, which were uh, primarily uh, Sunset Park and New River Ranch uh, in this Baltimore area. And one day, uh, a light struck me. 
And I thought, well, I have a recorder at home. Paul Williams, one called Little Georgie Rose. Why don't I bring this thing here and record? So I did that one day. I brought the recorder along and a, and, a, and a good microphone and set it up on microphone on stage. I'd like to kind of take a break here. One of my favorite entertainers is Ernest Tubb, and he was one of my grandmother's favorites too. This thing sounded like it was recorded yesterday. It was fabulous. <laughs> At my door the leaves are falling A cold wild wind will come Sweethearts walk by together And I still miss someone I go out on a party And look for a little fun But I find the darkened I still miss when the show was going on, it was totally loose. There was no uh, guards or anything of any kind. There was kids at the edge of the stage, about three deep, within about six foot of Johnny Cash himself. Uh, and that's just the way it was. I wonder if she's sorry for leaving what we've begun. There's someone for me somewhere, and I still miss someone. The first time I saw Johnny Cash, I think he was, uh, he was probably about 24 years old. I mean, these guys were in a prime. I like rock and roll all right, and I listen to it to an extent, but I like country music about ten times better. You have to understand, Leon is a very trusting soul, a beautiful cat, but I, I know how Leon is. And Leon goes trotting to the teen club at high school way back when with a Flat and Scruggs record and gets laughed out of the teen club. They've got their Jimmy Clanton record or you know, their Elvis record, their Carl Perkins or whatever, and he's got their, you know, this Latin Scruggs, this hillbilly group, you know, and there you go, get that stuff out of here, you, you know, you dumb farmer. So I had to sort of listen to it without letting them know that I, that I enjoyed it. <laughs> I'd listen to it in the evening, and I'd, I'd uh, listen to their music through the day in high school. So I worked it that way. Now don't judge me guilty by the work I saw uh, Patsy Cline in, uh, I think it was the mid-50s, 56, I think. They had an opening of a shopping center near me. They had a flatbed truck, 
and they had a local band. Don't remember who it was. Yes, I do. Tex Daniels and the Lazy H Ranch Gang. They had a five-minute show on a local AM station every day around supper time, uh, and they sold some records. Uh, but uh, they had a new star, a new female singer, and uh, nobody had heard of her at that point, and her name was Patsy Cline. This Wednesday, Patsy Cline at the Kingsdale Fire Department in Littlestown, Pennsylvania. She was just so far apart from other singers. She had her own style, and it was a very, very unusual style, and it was a haunting voice that you would want to hear over and over. The news is out All over town That you've been seen Out running and I would give anything for a recording of it, but I didn't have a tape recorder. I was just there listening. Boy, I'm telling you, some people, some people are good at one thing, some people are good at another. That girl just good at singing. I don't think she could sing bad if she had to. Rick Nelson hasn't heard these early songs since they were performed. He was Patsy's backup dobro player. You got to realize that we never heard those. That was live. So we didn't have the pleasure of sitting down and listening to that until 40 years later. Because we had no idea what it sounded like at all. Most of that stuff on the television show was never recorded. So Leon happened to record it as an audio tape off the television show. Right now we're going to have Patsy Cline and let the teardrops fall. Okay, Patsy. <laughs> I have, uh, I have Patsy Cline doing songs she never recorded, several, and uh, people have heard them in the wheat. You said you wasn't going to call, you didn't love me at all, so that's a teardrop fall, since you've been gone. Something's wrong with that. It's not the way you say it. Well, what's wrong with it? That's the way I learned it when I went to school. Mary had a little lamb free five snowed everywhere Mary went, the lamb went too. That is incorrect. You want me to show you the correct way to do it? So if you think you know more than I do, just go right ahead. Stand over there and observe. Observe. <laughs> I ain't observed, I'm preserved. <laughs> In fact, I'm pickled. <laughs> Too many glasses. <laughs> These live shows were unbelievable. I mean, uh, you, you never know what was going to happen. Uh, they were all very, very different, and that's what made them so good and so entertaining. During the Stanley Brothers, uh, one of the shows that I was taping, uh, they get stung by a, a bee. If you listen to it closely, they're being attacked by a bunch of yellow jackets. They're, they stop playing and start swatting bees. And uh, I got it all on tape, of course. You can hear it, right? Can we get some stalk spray up here? Get some DDT. And they're outside in this primitive place, and these things are buzzing them like, you know, and there's probably some kid spilled a sticky drink on the stage or something like that, and they're zooming in on that stuff. 1961. 
Anybody ever found that yellow jacket's nest? If they do, let's tear it up after a while. We'll get some newspaper and burn it out. Got any stock spray or anything out One time there was uh, uh, skunks had let loose under the stage and the poor performers, they were taking gas because they, they couldn't breathe. There was skunks let loose during a performance. And uh, it was kind of embarrassing because, you know, the ranch was so country that uh, things like that happened often and the show was over after that. <laughs> Uh, a performance at Sunset Park where there was a big lightning storm and the electricity had gone off for the afternoon and uh, Roy Acuff was, was uh, playing it was after dark uh, so the sound system of course was gone and the lights were gone and uh, Roy Acuff used a flashlight so that he could see his guitar chords and his face those are the kind of shows you remember benches under the roof where the stage was and you put your lawn chair over the benches so you'd have to get there early to get your lawn chair over these benches so you'd have a good seat and then after you get your lawn chairs there then you could go have a picnic and that was fine. They had a, a cooker there you could barbecue all day long bring your own food. We usually fell asleep in the back of the car I was so exhausted except for one very special day my dad um, was very into the Stonemans, and I remember hearing them growing up, and I loved Donna Stoneman. I saw a picture of her. I thought she was really cool because she had those leather boots that were white boots that went up to her knees. And I wanted to meet her, and he took me on the bus when they got there, and I got to meet her, and this is when I was five, and then that same day I got to dance on the stage with her. And my dad has pictures of me dancing on the stage. Donna Stoneman on the mandolin was as good as anybody. I want to wind a small composition. In fact, this is the first time I've ever done it. And I did this for our producer. Not only does he put us on television, but he's a great friend. And I did this. I wrote it after him. His name is Jingo Forth, and I call this by Jingo. <laughs> saying he would never want to come on stage after she had played. That's Bill Monroe saying that. Jethro Burns, who was a, a first-class uh, mandolin player, 
So the Johnny Carson show back in the 60s, and Johnny Carson asked him, well, who, you know, who do you think's the best mandolin player you've ever heard? He says, oh, Donna Stoneman. Stoneman, Ernest Stoneman, the old man of the group who, you know, started recording in 1924, and he had, uh, it seemed like zillions of children, 13 of which survived, well, you know, they were all musicians, and one wonders how an old guy like that can get an entire family playing at such a professional level. And Pops was very smart. Uh, he and uh, Hattie, his wife, uh, they got all the instruments together and they tuned them all up and they laid them out on the bed in their room and they called the kids into the room and they said, kids, uh, me and Hattie, we're going out for a while. You see those instruments there on the bed? Don't touch them. And of course, the second they left, they picked up the instruments and started playing them and Never really put him down. Let's get underway with the grand old man in country music. He's been on records longer than anybody else. 37 years, and here he is, Pop Stoneman. He's going to sing for you a real good one called The Little Cabin Home on the Hill. Nice big hand for Pop. Here we go. Pop Stoneman is going to sing a nice favorite gospel song entitled Where the Soul Never Dies. Pop, a lot of times, he, he was a very interesting guy, and he liked to talk, and uh, I would talk to him sometimes for an hour between shows. So I gained, gained quite a rapport with Pop Stoneman and the, and the entire Stoneman family. They were all very nice people. And uh, not only did they let me record them, but they, uh, they, they act like they wanted me to <laughs> record them. And uh, I think if I hadn't recorded them, if I were up there without my recorder, I think they would have been disappointed. It's all good. Runs chills up and down your spine when you hear it, and it's it's a kind of song you want to hear often. Very, uh, I can't even. Uh, it's very uh, very sad, deep song, a very sorrowful song. Stone family, I just stopped, and uh, that's all I listened to for about half a year. I mean, they're just a big, white, trashy family of just gawking. I mean, they're so full of personality and fun, but they're so 
unsophisticated and goofy. You don't think I know karate? <laughs> All you do is badmouth me. Well, I seen you the other day with your girlfriend. She looked just like me, and you and her walking down the street looks like a string of spaghetti and a meatball. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Ronnie. You've got the brains of an idiot. She I know, fat so boy. Do you want them back? <laughs> Don't laugh. You'll just make her worse. AM and FM in Wheeling. Leon also devised a way to record the radio and television directly to his tape machine in the late 50s. Okay. Up the speed. To record the radio or the television, there's only one way to do it, and that's uh, to get into the circuits and uh, use a shielded cable with a ground and a uh, hot lead in the center so as not to get hum or interference. Before each one of these shows, he would go out and, you know, would tweak that antenna Look at the TV, come back outside, tweak it a little bit more. Ah, oh, we've, you know, we've, ah, that's just right. Sun Papers Television, Channel 2, Baltimore. Now, here's Leon doing that before each show, and you've got thousands of hours of, you know, that I've found anyway. That's a lot of tweaking. Well, y'all to hurt him, that old-time preacher man. That's on page 102 of our heavenly call hymn book. Well, that's a long one. Takes about two pages to get all that song in the book. This documentary was created and produced by Jeff Brady. With thanks to WMNF in Tampa, Florida, John Egley at WMOT in Tennessee, the Library of Congress, and music historian Charles Wolfe. Special thanks to narrator Ruth White. It's complete with words and music in shape notes, and it has 155 songs in all. And friends, this heavenly call hymn book was without a doubt the nicest hymn book that you will ever have the privilege of receiving for only a dollar. In case you're wondering, Leon and Joe Lee are working with the Country Music Hall of Fame to distribute Leon's recordings in a CD box set. You can get more info about this and see photos of Leon and friends on our website at bside-radio.org. That's all for this month's edition of B-Side. Our crew is Dave Gilson, Lissa Mudd, and Claudine Zapp. Tamara Keith is our senior producer. Our theme music was composed by Dave Kaufman. B-Side will return on December 24th with a B-Side potluck. In the meantime, on the record is back December 3rd. I'm Mia Lobel. Thanks for listening.